The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another episode of Between the Hashes after a week two of college football that set the tone. It broke the avid or casual college football fan from the diehards, the diehard draft fans from the casual draft fans. Week two was uh, a hit or miss in terms of uh, overall viewership and uh, enjoyment. But as always, on Between the Hashes, I'm Cam Miller with Tony Pauly. And welcome back. Uh, welcome home from Columbus, Ohio. Yes, thank you. And it was actually uh, missing hit for the Ohio State drum major. If you saw that video, I was actually there live when the guy did the header. It was un- unbelievable. It was, I couldn't believe what I saw when the, the guy, dude went face first as he was running into the stadium. Poor guy. But listen, to his credit, he got right back up, didn't miss a beat, haha, and, <laughs> and, and led the uh, band for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the game, probably uh, did a better job leading the band than the Ohio State coaches did leading the Buckeyes. I was going to say, it's a hit or miss. Maybe for them, at least they got back up and didn't miss a beat. OSU missed too many beats in the game yeah. against Oregon and ultimately got beat. So before we get into that, let's get into the reaction of that game. But I do want to say, obviously, you got to take some time here at the beginning to really set the tone. Uh, we at PFN have a deal with Monkey Knife Fight. If you've not heard of Monkey Knife Fight, obviously the the, uh, the talk of the world in the sports world is sports gambling and sports betting player props. Monkey Knife Fight does a great job. Uh, so promo code over there at PF at Monkey Knife Fight is PFN. So new Monkey Knife Fight users will receive a free five dollar contest and a hundred percent instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars as long as you use the promo code PFN. It's very easy to go to. It's PlayMKF for Monkey Knife Fight. PlayMKF.com backslash PFN to receive those bonuses over there. That being said, let's get to it. It's college football week three ahead, but we got to, in order to go forward, you got to look back. Yeah. Looking back at what the talk of the town was, it was Oregon versus Ohio State. The instant reactions for you. Let's start on the Oregon side of the ball. What did we see from Oregon in that game that ultimately led to this victory? You know, first of all, Oregon State's offensive line. Or I'm sorry, Oregon. Sorry about that. Oregon's offensive line was outstanding. I mean, they're a team that rotate their tackles. Alex Forsyth, as I said on Twitter, as the game was taking place, as I said during the Risers and Sliders, was the best player on the field uh, as far as I was concerned. Alex Forsyth, the fourth-year junior center uh, from Oregon. I thought the play calling on both sides of the ball was outstanding for Oregon. I thought Anthony Brown, the quarterback, after looking unsettled the first series or two, really settled in and became a force as the game went on. I think Mario Cristobal sort of reminds me of Mike Bellotti in the sense that he gets the most from his players. He gets his players to overachieve. You look back at Mike Bellotti-led Oregon teams, they maxed out. I mean, because a lot of those guys never lived up to expectations in the NFL because Bellotti got every ounce of ability out of them on the football on the college field. Cristobal does the same thing with this team, although I do think they've got a lot of good NFL prospects who will do very well at the next level. So I absolutely love what Mario Cristobal uh, did. As far as Ohio State is concerned, very unimpressed with their quarterback, uh, C.J. Stroud. Inaccurate, can't see the field, which was, ironically, uh, a uh, criticism of uh, Justin Fields last year. But uh, 
Justin Fields was in the game, in that game, they would have won the game because Stroud is a bad combination of unable to see the field and poor throwing accuracy, poor uh, pass placement. I think uh, uh, the problem for Ohio State is they've got a very questionable quarterback. They have absolutely no speed at the running back position, and that is a very bad uh, combination. The offensive line was uh, unimpressive. The defensive line was even worse. As I tweeted out from the game, they could not generate a pass rush. And I was expecting a lot more from Tyreek Smith, uh, from Zach Harrison, from Haskell Garrett, and Jerron Cage. There's a lot of NFL talent on that line that was, except for Alex Forsyth and maybe one one of the other uh, Oregon offensive linemen, you know, those are guys who at best are late-round picks. And Ohio State was never able to take advantage of it. So, uh, good for Oregon team up. I said was going to surprise coming coming into the year, but I did not think that they would surprise by going into Columbus and really, I don't want to say dominating Ohio State, but they took uh, took Ohio State by the collars really from that first uh, drive, and, and they never uh, they never let go. Yeah, the play calling to me from Oregon was pretty awesome. On the broadcast, you look at it and you hear him saying they're running the same play over and over. Yeah. It wasn't the same play. It was different iterations of the same player, different variations, subtle changes that kept Ohio State guessing. I thought it was great. Anthony Brown, you know, doesn't light up the scoreboards like maybe he did in Wake Forest or against Wake Forest for BC back in the day when he threw five touchdowns. But that's never been the knock on him. He runs a great game. He's like a game manager if you want to label it with something along those natures. But as long as they're getting good, positive play, he gives them a chance to succeed because of what you said, Cristobal getting the most out of his players. I thought it was pretty impressive overall. I definitely would have liked to see more from Ohio State, uh, but now it turn, this has all the shapings up to me to be an Ohio State team that doesn't have a great year. There's going to be talk now. We're going to when are we going to see the kid who should be in high school in Duncanville, Quinn Ewers? When, when are we going to see him at quarterback? C.J. Stroud missed high in Week One, missed high in this game, but then he missed all over the place against Oregon. So, got to say, unimpressive uh, going forward. Anthony Brown, that's the knock in my opinion. You know. Positive play from Anthony Brown, and they give them a chance to win, just like you said. They're going to get the most out of their players. Cristobal does a great job of that. He has done a great job of that. May not be the best recruiter of talent, but he certainly gets the most out of his players uh, on the field on Saturday. What about the next level prospects? So you mentioned it on the offensive line specifically, but also everywhere for Ohio State. There's a bunch of next level players, a bunch of players that are going to be on the top of our draft board or draft rankings all year long. What do we see from the next level prospects? Yeah, good and bad. Let's start with Alex Forsyth. I mean, a guy who I've been raving about since middle of the first quarter of that game. You know, he physically and mentally dominated Ohio State. As I said in, in my piece uh, for the Risers and Sliders, I talk with people. I've never seen a center so engaged in a game mentally the way Alex Forsyth was, making the line calls up until the snap, pointing out uh, the defenders that his teammates, his line mates are supposed to co- uh, cover. Go back and watch the film. Don't just watch the blocks of Alex, Alex Forsyth, but look at what he does in preparation up until the snap of the ball. It was absolutely incredible. I graded him as a fourth-round pick coming into the season. I think he played like a second-day player. I was speaking with someone who says he's a fourth-year junior. If he gets third-round grades, very good chance he enters the draft. On the other side, was unimpressed with Thaler Munford. I think moving him from right tackle into guard has not worked out well. He looked like he was stuck in cement, couldn't adjust, wasn't moving his feet, was getting beat. I mean, I talk constantly about college tackles who may be better off at guard. Munford is, I think, from what I've seen so far, a college tackle who has to stay a tackle because he was not very good at guard. 
Chris Olave to me is the real deal. I know he had that one bad drop down the left flank where the ball was in his hands. It was a deep throw. He should have held on to it, but he is fast. He has a burst. He was he was basically dominating Michael Wright all game, but C.J. Stroud was not looking his way, which was a shame uh, because uh, at one point in time, you could see Olave getting very frustrated, flapping his hands, uh, waving his arms up and down because he kept winning that battle. He was beating Wright three yards off the line of scrimmage, yet Stroud was never looking in his direction. You know, regardless of that, he had a big day. If Stroud, had, I think he had, what, like 12 uh, receptions for 120 yards. If Stroud had looked uh, more in his direction, he probably would have had 18 receptions for close to 300 yards. C.J. Verdell had a terrific game. I still don't think he's anything more than a third down back at the next level. Very creative ball carrier. I was very impressed with Verone McKinley. I know he had one bad play, but he's a feisty safety who can play the run. Decent ball skills. Problem is he's short. And you saw on one of those plays, I believe it was against Wilson. I may be uh, incorrect, the receiver from Ohio State, where he just got overmatched because he's so much shorter than everyone else. Michael Wright, you know, I took a lot of grief for grading him as a fifth-round pick in my preseason write-up on him. Scouts I talked with said no second round. Guy looked like a six-rounder out on the field. He's lucky that he had C.J. Stroud throwing the ball because if there was a Justin Fields throwing the ball, uh, Wright would have given up four touchdowns, never mind one. He was constantly getting beat. They lined him up, backed off the line of scrimmage. He didn't show the ability to drive to the football. When they lined him up in press coverage, his back pedal was awful. He was missing tackles. He doesn't wrap up. You know, he, he tries to knock down ball carriers. Uh, the one pass defense he had was, as you mentioned, C.J. Stroud throwing the ball over Wilson's head. If that ball is three inches lower, it's a touchdown or, cl- or the ball's down by the goal line. But Michael Wright, good athlete. He's smooth. He's flexible, but he needs a lot of work before he's going to be NFL ready. I stand by the fifth round grade that I gave him uh, coming into the season. Hey, conviction and feeling vindicated. Two things here about Mikhail Wright that I'm, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here. The thing that jumped out for me from Olave when you mentioned it, clapping his hands, angry, throwing his hands up, that looked a lot like a group of five receiver who's got just the bottom of the barrel quarterback who can't look his way, but he's constantly yeah. beating his corners with five, six yards of separation. Like, hey, look at me. I'm over here. You don't typically see that at Ohio State. And I think that the Ohio State coaches really didn't do C.J. Stroud or the Ohio State offense. The talk is about the Ohio State defense. The coaches didn't do the Ohio State offense many favors because, you know, they didn't key on Alave. They kept pulling things in tight. The mismatch was constantly up top when Alave was matched up against right. That was the mismatch. And what they do is they try and get too cute. If you watch the game, I mean, C.J. Stroud is looking at the sidelines for the play call, Five seconds left, four seconds left on a play clock, which, which I think makes it much more difficult for C.J. Stroud rather than just giving him a play call, let, you know, getting it into the huddle, getting it out there, and then taking it from that point in time. I, I think uh, what they were doing with, with Stroud is it was a disservice to him and made his job much more difficult and didn't take advantage of the matchups that were available to the Ohio State offense. Yeah, they're student athletes. At some point, though, you just got to let them be athletes. They can't be students up until the the play clock strikes zero. We've seen that. We saw the Derek Stingley moment where he's checking the sideline to get the play call gets burned by Devontae. We saw that in this game specifically. Checking wristbands get burned by a receiver. Let them just be athletes sometimes. It's going to pay off for them. So uh, change gears. We're talking about coaches getting the most out of players and coaches not getting the most out of players. The big news out of the Pac-12 besides Oregon defeating Ohio State is the complete opposite down south in L.A., Clay Helton 
Two touchdown favorite going in, playing Stanford gets blown out. They did not look good at all, not getting the most out of his players. Not that I find his firing surprising. I find the leash that he was on, the short leash. If it took yeah. one loss to Stanford to fire him in week two, yeah. why not just get rid of him at the end, the beginning of the season, middle of the season, earlier this year when you know you're not going to – like I, the, the leash, the short leash on Clay Helton being fired is what surprised me the most. Or the end of last season. I mean, you know, it would have been difficult because they were in the Pac-12 title game last year. But I agree with you. I, I mean, what does firing him after two games, what, what purpose does it serve? I mean, Helton is a guy whose job has been on the line the past two years. Two games into the season, and you're right, it was a bad loss against Stanford, who lost, got dominated the week before by Kansas State. You, you get you, you fire Helton. What happens now if the interim coach now goes 90-0? I mean, everyone's <laughs> going to be screaming for the interim coach, whoever that is, and I apologize for not knowing, to be inserted as the new head coach rather than all these big names that are being thrown, thrown around. I agree with you. I, I mean, if you want to get rid of Kim Helton, fine. But, you know, the first or the second weekend in uh, in September after the second game makes absolutely no sense to me. It was it was shocking. Dante Williams promoted to interim coach, a player's coach. I mean, this is a guy with previous playing experience, great success at Oregon, great success at USC for what I've been able to tell at least. But the kids want to play for him. And I think sort of in the Cristobal, Mike Bellatimo, too, can get most out of his players. I've seen him get a lot of, out of his players, at least at certain position groups he's coached. So we'll see. Yeah, nine and zero. Are they? Is it like an Ed Orgeron type situation as interim, where you want to keep him around again? That's they need to figure it out. All this talk of these famous coaches. Does Fickle go from Cincinnati? We'll see. It's a, so many theories out there as well. A lot we can talk about week two, but let's look forward to week three going forward. But also the NFL draft coming up. We got to talk about some draft prospects. Let's stay in the Big Ten. You have some George Karloftis news, defensive end from Purdue. Karloff, this is a guy that I was tweeting about and I wrote about on Pro Football Network during the first week of the college season. I'm told it's about 99.9% sure that he's going to enter the draft or 99.9% certainty he's going to enter the draft. I was speaking with a buddy in the scouting business and he said, as far as Karloff, this is concerned, you know, it's not a question of whether or not he's a first rounder. It's a question of how high does he go in the first round? Had another dominant game against Connecticut. Not not many sacks, but tackles, forcing fumbles, pass breakups, quarterback hurries. He's a lot. He's a lot as far as substance is concerned. Compare him to Zaven Collins from a year ago with that size, sort of the bigger linebacker type in a day and age where teams like those small safety size linebackers. That's not Carl Loftus. He's uh, he's the Zaven Collins type. He's different from Zaven Collins in that Collins was more of a linebacker who played primarily off the ball and in space, but could blitz when you want him to. Karloff, this is a guy that's used up at the line of scrimmage, gets a lot of force up the field. His priority, his primary goal is to create havoc behind the line of scrimmage, but he can play in space when you need him to. So Karloff, this, look for him to enter the draft, going to be an early pick. Uh, last week, we talked about Trevor Penning, the offensive lineman, from Northern Iowa, who had a terrific game against Iowa State. I had mentioned that people think he's going to be the, or he could be the first senior tackle, if not drafted, at least going into the draft. He will be the highest rated tackle. Somebody, a very good source in the scouting community who I speak with all the time said, he believes Penning will be the first tackle drafted. And when I said, you think he's going to be drafted over Evan Neal of Alabama? The answer was yes. So wow. Penning is really, really uh, well-liked in the scouting circles. It's now not a, not a question of 
people think, or some scouts think he's the top senior offensive tackle. Some people uh, have graded him as the top offensive tackle overall, even ahead of people like Evan Neal. I don't know that I share that opinion, but it's an opinion that's out there and it needs to be uh, repeated. Another guy, another small school tackle that scouts like Matt Waletsko of of uh, North Dakota, uh, a guy who, you know, right now some people think second day, I think maybe early day three, had a good game against Utah State, highly considered for a small school uh, offensive tackle. But well, let's go like panning. I think much of their draft grade will depend on how they do during senior bowl practices. Yeah, we've seen these kids sort of come out of relative nowhere at the senior bowl practice uh, and turn turn heads. It's good to be on this train. It's also really cool to hear Trevor or hear Penning's name, but then also hear it. Yeah, okay, first tackle taken. But then when you compare him and say next to Evan Neal, a household name for an offensive lineman is very rare. But to compare him there and say absolutely yes over Evan Neal is pretty uh, – uh, that's resounding positivity coming from a player like Trevor Penning. So the other end of the spectrum here too, not positivity, injuries. It's part of sports, a part of football. It's a part of NFL draft prospects as well. We saw a couple of big ones. A guy I know you like, James Mitchell, the tight end from Virginia Tech. Another big one, Boston College is Phil Jerkovic, the quarterback as well. A lot of injuries. Another one when we talked about too, Peyton Wilson, I believe. Too. Yeah. There's it, notable injuries to prospects and what and what it does going forward. Yeah, Peyton Wilson hurts because if you remember, I believe it was two, three weeks ago on the show, I had mentioned that there are a lot of people in the scouting community who grade Peyton Wilson as a day two selection. Peyton Wilson, the linebacker from North Carolina State who really played lights out in 2020, hurt his shoulder again last week against Mississippi State. I believe he's having surgery. It's it's a season-ending injury. He has had multiple shoulder issues. Now, go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. And so while I like Wilson, I had been hearing that there are a lot of or there are potential major medical red flags on him. The medical red flags are, in fact, the shoulder issues, because this is a repeat of the shoulder issues. Now, this is not like Landon Dickerson, where he had knee issues or ankle issues. Uh, When you have shoulder issues as a linebacker and you have multiple shoulder issues as a linebacker, that's not good. Peyton Wilson right now looks like a great playing prospect. But it's turning into the to turning into a potential where he could be a medical nightmare. So that bears watching moving forward. Yeah, it's unfortunate because if you watch him play, he sort of takes over games for NC yeah. State. He took over that that USF game. It was uh, I think the second snap of the game basically for them on defense, and it was he was in the backfield. He was causing havoc, and he was just patrolling the middle of the field beautifully. So it's a lot of again, it's part of the part of the sport world. It's part of football. Uh, unfortunately, we're seeing at the NFL level as well, where a team like the Baltimore Ravens are going to be without a tackle at this point and switching Villanueva over to left tackle and figuring something out. Every team, I mean, even tonight, we're going to have trouble on the offensive line between the Giants and Washington football team. So it's uh, it, it's unfortunate. It sucks, to be honest. There's no better term for it, especially for a guy like Wilson going forward. Well, you, you know, you talk about the NFL, look at the New York Jets. They lose their best defensive player, Carl Lawson, who they signed as a free agent before the preseason begins. And now week one into the season, they lose their best offensive player, Mekhi Becton, which is a killer for the Jets because, you know, you want that stalwart at left tackle, which Becton was developing into, especially when you got a brand new rookie quarterback who you know, got sacked a half a dozen times. So, yeah, I, I mean, it is part of the game. You, you hate to see it. The issue is with Wilson is when these types of injuries are repetitive and redundant and are consistently happening as they are with his shoulders, that's a problem. Yeah. 
And uh, it's leading down a road that we don't need to get into, but looking like a guy like him is, is football careers in jeopardy for something along those lines. I don't want to speculate, but it right. certainly seems like college is where it might end for him, unfortunately, as it is. So we hope he gets better soon. Right, right. But it, it's, I mean, listen, we've seen it before. We've seen it with receivers. What was the uh, receiver? Amar Richards, was that the receiver out of Miami? Had to yeah. uh, retire because of uh, neck issues and, you know, looked like an up-and-coming prospect. So, I mean, it does happen. Yeah, there was that catch Richards made against Bethune Cookman where he's full extension in the end zone. That yeah, that's a name that uh, I forgot about. Not gonna lie. Week three preview. Let's not uh, forget any names here as best we can. There is so week two separates the casual from the diehard. Uh, not just in college football fanhood watching, but draft matchups. There were they were far and few between. You got to look through the cracks. There were some good ones this week though. You don't have to look very far. The probably the tip of the slate is obviously Alabama, Florida. We can get into that one. First one, though, I think we want to get into is this top 10 Cincinnati team against what was a top 15, top 18 Indiana team. Now not still some really interesting matchups inside of that Cincinnati, Indiana matchup. Two good coaches that have two teams that, again, they get the most out of their players, not top draft picks. But as far as I'm concerned, the most interesting matchup in this game is Indiana receiver Ty Froggle going up against Cincinnati cornerback Ahmad Gardner, who a lot of people absolutely love. I don't. I mean, he's got excellent size, but I see a guy who can't make plays with his back to the ball. I think think this is a situation that Freifogel, who surprised a lot of people going back for a second senior season because they thought if he had entered last year's draft, he's a mid-day three pick. Uh, A guy who's a great receiver, probably not a great athlete. A lot of scouts coming into the season graded him as a free agent. I gave him a fifth-round grade because he is such a natural pass catcher. The matchup against Gardner, who a lot of people, as I said, have high on their list, is going to be an interesting one to watch. If Gardner doesn't get his head back around and locates uh, and can't locate the ball, uh, Freifogel will, will eat him alive. Assuming Michael Penix can get the ball within uh, Freifogel's catching That's rate. a big assumption. <laughs> A huge assumption. Uh, early season last year, yeah, Penix gets the balls to him, no yeah. sweat. This year, uh, it's a it's hit or miss at this point. Most likely, uh, OSU drum <laughs> leader miss uh, going forward. We'll see. Hopefully, I, I I like Penix as a quarterback. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, Brian Fogle though, I, what always shocks me or not shocks me, it's always pleasantly surprising is how they get him open, how they scheme him open too. Being the natural pass catcher, you say. They got to work to, especially in the Big Ten play, they got to work to get him around top notch players. So watch him to sort of move around formations and also just potentially dominate Gardner, who told me at one point, Gardner did, that he uh, said, quote, and I, I'm going to quote him, being the best cornerback in the nation is, quote, easy. Yeah. So we'll see. He's got high hopes for himself, scouts do too. I think the jury's still out after three years at Cincinnati. So since that, there's that one. There's a couple other ones. I'd like Taiwan Mullen as well, Indiana quarterback. Uh, there's a couple other Peyton Hendershot, I believe, a couple other players uh, along the Indiana. There's some there's some fun matchups. This one is it sort of pales in comparison though to that 3:30, the SEC game of the week, the game of the week for everybody essentially at this point. Maybe not for the next one we'll talk about, but Alabama versus Florida. I'll discuss the quarterback situation at Florida before we go into the the rest of them. We have Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Richardson is the this dynamic dual threat who's probably the fastest player on the field whenever he steps on the field immense arm talent. I don't know why he's not the starting quarterback over Emory Jones. I know Jones has given his time and he's been able to, he's been there with the program for a while. He seems like the prototypical Dan Mullen quarterback, but Richardson is everything that Jones is. And then everything that Jones isn't as well. There's, I mean, there's a throw last week from Saturday that he glances to his left side breaks contain 
sprinting dead run to his opposite shoulder, squares up, finds a receiver down the field. I mean, he was five of five with four touchdowns or whatever, or four of four with three touchdowns. I know it was against USF, but there is arm talent and, and skill for days in his legs. So Richardson is a – I want to see how he uses them, and I want to see how Richardson plays against an Alabama defense, not just USF. So other than that, yeah. Alabama-Florida, what are you looking for? I think the big matchup has got to be Alabama receiver John Mechie against the uh, Florida cornerback Kerry Elam. More and more people when I speak, more and more people that I speak to in the scouting community keep asking me, what do you think of John Mechie? What do you think of John Mechie? Which tells you that he's building some momentum. And I say the same thing. I say, well, I, I want to see him play first. I mean, I want to see him get more repetition. I want to see how he does now that he is the man at Alabama. He is their primary receiving target. We know this. Speed and big playability trump all. We saw that last year with, with Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell, who was drafted before Devonta Smith, who was drafted earlier than John Ju- uh, uh, Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs, even though he wasn't as refined as many of those receivers. Mechie's got a chance now. Carolan, when you watch the film last year, he flashed ability. And when he flashed ability, he was absolutely dominant. He flashed top 20 ability at times during the 2020 wasn't consistent about it. I think this Mechie-Elam matchup is something where you could have one of these guys, if not both of these guys, end up as first-round picks. Mechie could be a very early first-round pick if he really takes his game to the next level and continues to show that big playability on the field. Yeah, Elam had the interception against USF, too. He ran the route better than the receiver. I know, say what you will about USF's quarterback situation and skill players, but He's in the hip pocket of this USF receiver. It was an overthrown ball because the quarterback had broke, contained, scrambled, and he still picked it, grabbed it. It was almost David Tyree helmet catch worthy, uh, his interception against USF. So I, he's got great ball skills. I like Elam, and I'm a I'm an FSU guy. I, I can't say that I like Florida players uh, without it hurting my soul a little bit. So for me to say it and I like him, it tells you how good of a player I think he is too. So there's some other players on that Florida defense that feel like they've been there for uh, a half a – half a decade because they probably have been Ventro Miller, uh, Zachary Carter, all guys that sort of had the chance to dominate as well. We'll see. They're, gonna, they're all going to have to play the best game they possibly can against, I mean, a stout Alabama offense, stout Alabama defense. And then the three thirty game leads us directly into grab dinner when you can, because then there's the, the night game, the whiteout Auburn versus Penn state. It's as Kirk Herbstreit says, there's, there may not be a better tradition or a better uh, venue then the whiteout at Penn State. I've always wanted to go. I've never been. Uh, Auburn versus uh, Penn State. Bo Nix gets his taste of Big Ten football uh, at at night in the whiteout. It should be a lot of fun to see that one from a college standpoint. But uh, the NFL draft prospects that we're looking for in Auburn, Penn State. Well, let me say this. I mean, I, I, when I used to scout games uh, in person, I, I was at Penn. I used to go to Penn State often, and and, and Penn State's a lot of fun. The food there is great. You're right, right in the middle of Amish country. The stadium is uh, in the middle of a basically a hog farm, if you've ever been there. And it's a lot of fun. But I'll take uh, Wisconsin's jump around over, over whiteout. That's for sure. Okay. As I'll, far take, as, I'll take Enter Sandman as well as the best intro in, in sports as well from, from Virginia Tech. So, um, As far as the pro prospects, listen, it's put up or shut up time for Bo Nix. I mean, we've been hearing all these great things about him the past two weeks. But as Rocky's manager, Mickey, said in Rocky Three. The, the Auburn's opponents were a bunch of tomato cans. I mean, Akron and an Alabama State. Now, Bo Nix is going to be playing up against some real good defenders, guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. Brandon Smith, the linebacker. Ellis Brooks, the linebacker. 
Tyree Castro-Fields, the cornerback who a lot of scouts like. Jawan Brisker, the safety. I mean, this is not so much for Penn State, but this is put up or shut up time for Bo Nix. Let's see if he's really developing as a passer rather than a guy who at times just runs around with it like a chick with no head and puts the ball up for grabs. I mean, this is a huge game for Bo Nix to really chart his development as a next-level quarterback prospect. Let's just keep with the uh, the Rocky metaphors or the Rocky sayings. Rocky four. Penn State defense coordinator Brett Pry, if he uh, gets pressure on and starts sacking Bo Nix, uh, if he dies, he dies. I can feel like he's going to say at this point, blitzing those talented linebackers. So Nix is going to have to use that athleticism. I, I don't know who I want to pick in this game just because I'm really not sold as a Sean Clifford fan, uh, quarterback for Penn State. That's just the college football betting angle if you want to look at it that way. So I'm just interested to see a good game. And, and uh, you know, I would like to see Bo Nix elevate just because uh, why not? I don't know. And I'd like to be proven wrong at one point for this uh, in his evaluation or uh, in his elevation for his career. So, you know, one other uh, I, I'm going through my list here. And I, I apologize. One other matchup that you got to keep an eye on Penn State left tackle Rashid Walker, a guy who two years ago looked like he was going to be a star. I think he took kind of a, a bit of a step back last year, but he's a terrific pass uh, protector who's just got to improve his uh, his run blocking strength. Going up against Colby Wooden of uh, of Auburn, who was a tremendous athlete, a tremendous pass rusher, explosive off the edge, sort of an under-the-radar sort of matchup, Walker against Wooden. Everybody knows about Bo Nix. We talked about Cincinnati and Indiana, obviously Alabama, Florida. Keep an eye on this because this is something scouts already have Rasheed Walker uh, graded. Which, which which tells you that as an underclassman, they've been watching him and they like him. Colby Wooden is someone who I rated highly off of the film. Uh, th- this is going to be a matchup to keep an eye on. Yeah, Auburn uses a bunch of different pass rushers. Moultrie as well. Yeah. I think both the guys on the outside could be uh, could give them fits. Uh, it should be, again, it's a lot of fun. I love the cross-conference matchups when you have two teams that are sort of peaking maybe. And then this is the this is where we're going to go. We just saw Oregon, Ohio State. Does does Ohio State fall down the mountain? Does Oregon is that it for them this season, or do they keep climbing the mountain? So um, let's go though. I want there's one last thing I think we talk about today, uh, and it obviously you talk about a team that's not just coming down the mountain. They're crashing down the mountain and yeah. they're falling into the depths of hell at this point. It's my alma mater. They're behind me on my wall. They're all over my. I bleed garnet and gold still, but man, I can't figure out or put my finger on what to do at FSU, but you have some thoughts. Well, it's not, it's not just thoughts. It's what I've been, I've been hearing about for the uh, past six months. I, I mean, you're right about Florida state. Everyone had high hopes after that Notre Dame win. They almost, you know, it was a good game. They lose a tough one in uh, overtime. You, you figure that they're, uh, they're on the right path. Notre Dame barely holds on in a squeaker against Toledo and competitive Mac school. And then Florida State goes and they lose to Jacksonville State. I mean, you can't lose to Jacksonville State if you're Florida State. You you just can't. It's not as bad as UConn losing to Holy Cross, but it's almost as bad. And if you remember last year, Florida State played Jacksonville State, and Jacksonville State kept that game close in the first half. Now they just they kept the game close and they ended up pulling pulling out the game. You you can't you can't lose to uh, Jacksonville State if you're Florida State. Now. Getting back to the uh, what I tweeted out on Sunday, you know, people tell me things all the time, and a lot of things are just so outrageous. You're like, ah, you know, that can't be true. Sometimes you follow them, as I did with the Mike McCagnan being fired after he hired, hired Adam Gase, and it was right on that. 
Sometimes you don't follow them and they come around to bite you in the rear end, as I did, as I didn't do, I should say, with the Aaron Rodgers story last year. You were at the uh, when we were at the Loft Hotel outside Cleveland. I mean, I was furious when that story broke because somebody told me back in March that Aaron Rodgers was not happy and wanted out of Green Bay. And and I, I just I couldn't believe it. Well, let me tell you this. At the same time I was hearing the Aaron Rodgers story, someone was telling me that there was a big push at Florida State. This is March of last year to get to bring Deion Sanders in as their new head coach. Uh, There was a faction. Now, these are not decision makers, but these are influential people at uh, Florida State who have the ear of the decision makers. I'm told that Mike Norvell is not well liked throughout all of Florida State with with the people who are influential. I'm told that they like Deion Sanders because obviously he's got the personality. They think he'd be a great recruiter. Uh, you, you know, they, they like they like his coaching ability or his coaching potential. I mean, for what it's worth. If you ever watch the Combine coverage uh, on NFL Network, which I did when the Combine was over, I would tape it or DVD, uh, TiVo it, whatever the heck it's called these days, and watch it. Sanders was great. I mean, he was great when he would break down the defensive backs. The main concern right now with Deion Sanders is the coaching staff. You know, who is he going to bring in for his assistant coaches? Is he going to bring in his buddies from Tennessee State, of Aldosta State, things like that? Or is he going to go out and get Division One, <coughs> excuse me, uh, assistant coaches a la what Herm Edwards did out in Arizona State? But Deion Sanders to Florida State is very real. I asked, I said, what happens if Mike Norville, you know, goes undefeated the rest of the season? My source told me, Still a very good chance that they bring uh, Deion Sanders in. Norville signed a six-year deal two years ago. Uh, it's not looking good at Florida State. If he doesn't turn it around, I could see the boosters coming in to help with the payout or the payoff for Norville. But Deion Sanders to Florida State is something that wasn't just talked about, you know, Sunday night after uh, Florida State lost to, to uh, Jacksonville State. It's something that I actually heard and has been talked about since – once we got into spring football of last year. Yeah, I've heard it. You literally took the words out of my mouth. The The blueprint for Dion has been sort of made. It's the Herm Edwards blueprint. You go in because you're a recruiter, a figurehead, a great coach, or could be a good coach. His potential for coaching is there. We'll see it, like you said. Who does he bring in to surround him? He's going to have to surround himself with talent, player coaches that are going to be able to get the most out of players he can recruit. We've seen – I mean, he's already recruiting to – his level of football is coaching now players that are going to choose over Florida state. So it's, it's very interesting. There's also now tension amongst former FSU players, Travis Johnson and PK Sam. Those are two names uh, of the old days. Everett Dawkins getting into it on Twitter about uh, just drama. This FSU team is in shambles from every level of the field. But yes, if there's one thing you said to the the boosters, they have the money. They, this is a, this is a team, a franchise, a, a business essentially at Florida State football that has the money to buy out Norvell, I, I assume no well, trouble. Yeah, well, even last year, I, I mean, you had, you know, seniors a year ago in 2020 who were supposed to have big years fell flat on their face. Yeah. I, I mean, the granted, several things happened with the receiver, but Tamari and Terry was, did not have a good year. The defensive tackle uh, was, was awful last year. They had another very good defensive tackle who's now playing at North Carolina State. So, you know, all is not well, and I mean, you would know better than me. I don't see any, you know, star freshmen or star sophomores uh, refilling the gaps there. 
no, it's all recruiting now at this point. The number one recruit in the country, Travis Hunter, is committed to Florida State, but that's committed until he signs and until he actually elevates his game from great high school player to college player. The jury's always still out on those recruiting rankings because how good can you actually be? That being said, as an alum and as a fan and as of uh, a, a, the reason my family is a fan and went to Florida State is because of Deion Sanders, because we watched those him play in the 80s and 90s. It would be a match made in heaven. It was only, it's almost hopefully not too good to be true because as Bucks fans and FSU alum, we also love the marriage of Jameis Winston to Tampa Bay, and we've seen how that panned out. So we'll go in with tempered expectations of, of hopeful optimism, at least, I guess, if Deion Sanders is the next head coach at Florida State. We will see. That's a maybe a little ways away. Uh, I don't see the leash on Norvell being as short as it was for Clay Helton. Just to wrap everything up here today, of course. Uh, but yeah, week three in the college football slate is truly exciting. Tony, you're doing risers and sliders on ProFootballNetwork.com. Is that something we can get used to weekly to see from you? Oh, I, I, I would assume so. I mean, I've been doing it back to the days of when I was with the Sports Illustrated about 2000, uh, 2002. So yeah, it's, it, it's almost like... Uh, uh, brushing my teeth every morning. I, I mean, uh, it, it, it's it's just uh, it's just a natural uh, natural natural part of uh, of life for me now. So yes, absolutely. Right. Well, there we go. So then we have your your recap essentially to the week. Risers and sliders after the games are over. You got my picks and predictions for the week uh, on on Fridays or Thursdays or Fridays, depending on the slate of games. Uh, so get that at ProFootballNetwork.com. As always, that was the shameless plug for our content outside of our lovely voices and faces you get to see and hear here as well. So for Tony Pauline on Between the Hashes, as always, I am Cam Miller. Thanks for listening.